0: This series of Jonah is about a man who is obviously broken. Something is not right because Jonah is a prophet of God, and he is doing the opposite of what God desires. And that's why I titled this series, The Rebellious Prophet. Lots of people call Jonah the rebellious or the reluctant prophet. And uh, and one of the things that if we're not careful when we read Jonah, we see what Jonah's doing and we see him as the bad guy rather than seeing him as us. Oftentimes, we're the reluctant Christian. We're the one who's reluctant to obey God when he calls us to do difficult things, when he calls us to go to some place that we don't want to go or when he calls us to love someone that we don't want to love or we have a difficult time loving or to forgive someone who has wronged us, or we're the one, ones who are reluctant to obey. And when we were singing this this morning, and even as I was preparing to preach this this week, um, I felt an overwhelming sense of hypocrisy in my own life because I'm a failure in the sense of I'm not perfect. I strive to to love God, and I strive to love others, and I strive to be the man he has called me to be. And what I find over and over again is that I fail at that. And if I'm not careful, what can happen is I can become obsessive over my sin and failures in a way where I don't repent, I don't ask for forgiveness, but rather I just feel bad about it and beat myself up about it. And feeling bad about your sin is not the same as repentance, and and beating yourself up over your sin is not the same as forgiveness. And when we were singing this song, I couldn't help but think of today's sermon and everything that I've uh, been feeling as I've been preparing for this sermon, because I identify with Jonah so much, so t- so many times, so often, and um, and the verse that has been coming to my mind all week, and I don't have it on the slide, uh, it's just what I've been thinking in my quiet time, personal time with God, is uh, I believe it's 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul is having this conversation with God where he's been having this vision of this thorn in his side. And each time he asks God to remove the thorn. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, uh, he asked him to remove it again. He says, Each time he said to me, my grace is sufficient. My power works best in your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. This is what Paul says. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work through me. And so Paul, in his failure or weakness or whatever was that thorn represented, he didn't just pretend like everything was okay, or he didn't just beat himself up about it, in his temptation to do that, he he hears the words of God that my grace is sufficient. You see, grace is when God gives us something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve his forgiveness, but he gives it to us. And we don't deserve to be perfect in his eyes, but through the blood of Christ, he, he makes us that way. And so when we sing these songs of worship, we're not just going through the motions. We can't do that. That's not worship. We can sing songs and go through the motion. We cannot worship and go through the motions. You can't because if you're going through the motions, you're not worshiping. It has become ritual and it's just become routine and it's not worship. And so I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty To be filled. We go to the next slide. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, and I'm welcome with open arms just as I am. Praise God, just as I am. And so let's pray before we open God's word into John. Lord, we love you. And we are so grateful for your grace. And your mercy. Because we do not deserve you. We do not deserve your forgiveness. Lord your grace is sufficient. And we don't deserve your grace. And yet you give it to us. And not only do you give it to us. But we don't have to reach some level of human perfection. Because our perfection is found in you. Your grace is sufficient for us. Whatever our weaknesses are, you love us. And I thank you for that. And I thank you that Christ died to make that possible. Lord, as we study Jonah, I pray that you would convict our hearts and that you would challenge us, that we would not just go through the motions, that you would do something special in here this morning in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we've been going through Jonah and and in the first a few verses we saw a lot of things. We saw Jonah going down to Joppa and God has called him to go to Nineveh and yet he's getting on a boat to go the opposite direction. And we we saw him go down into the ship and we saw him sleeping when this incredible storm was raging and everybody on board was panicking and they were throwing things over trying to save themselves and yet here is Jonah, the prophet, who's caused the storm by his disobedience, um, who God is trying to discipline, and he's the cause of it, and yet he's just sleeping. When he's a man of God who's supposed to be concerned about the lost around him, he's supposed to be going to this foreign place, this foreign city of Nineveh that's in Assyria, and he's supposed to be sharing the love of God with people who desperately need it. They're the enemies of God's people, and yet he's running. And as he's running, he's ignoring the people who are around him while he's running. And this is about running. This this chapter is about running. And today what we see is that you cannot run from God and escape his presence. You can't. There um, was this incredible revival early to mid uh, last century. And... It was um, off of Scotland, on the island of Lewis, and there was this woman who, um, she was on the main island, and her parents got sick, and she didn't even want to go home because there was this revival taking place on the island that she grew up, where she grew up. And she she went home, but she said, okay, I'm not going to church because I don't want anything to do with this. This is, not, this is weird. I don't want anything to do with it. And so she decides that she is not going to go to church. Well, her parents recover. After she gets there, her parents recover, and they go to church before she goes home. And they come back, and they say, you have to go. This is incredible. God is really here. God is moving. And she's, no, I'm not going. <clears throat> well, inexplicably, she says she found herself sitting in a church pew the next night. Out of curiosity, more than anything. And during this revival, this lasted for a while, but during this revival, the presence of God was so strong, the Spirit of God was just so tangibly present that hours before the preaching began, people would fill the church and they would just pray and they would repent. And people would get saved before a word was preached. And then the preacher would get up, and most of the time what he said was not extravagant. It was just from his heart and just a few words. And oftentimes it was 10 minutes of preaching, and then it was back to praying. And people were getting saved, and God was moving, and people were repenting. And there were just so many incredible things, and this is, I cannot, I could spend the entire hour telling you all I know about this revival, and this is just one revival of many that have happened in the past hundred years, and this is just one revival of innumerable numbers that have happened throughout time. But this woman is sitting in the church, and she feels convicted, and she doesn't like that feeling. And after the service, she goes home, and she says, I'll never go back there. I will never go back there. And then that night she was back there. And the same thing, she feels this conviction and she's walking home. And as she's walking home, she hears, however this works spiritually, she hears the voice of God say, you are on holy ground. And she jumps off the sidewalk like it's the sidewalk that's holy. And then she hears it again, you are on holy ground. And she literally, she takes off running trying to flee from the presence of God. But you can't flee from the presence of God. And so she surrendered and was saved. And She was one of many people during this time, during these revivals. Um, it was incredible things. They asked the speaker to come in and, and preach. And if you want to know more about this, come see me later because it's fascinating stuff. But they asked this preacher to preach. And so he he comes to the island and... Um he gets there late. It's a it's a long journey back then. And he gets there and um, he is, it's almost midnight. And the guy who's driving him says, I, I know it's late. I know you're tired. But can I just drive you by the church to show you? So they go to the church and the church is still full at midnight. And things are wrapping up and people are walking out. And the, the 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 guest speaker is in there with the man who brought him talking to, I can't remember if it was a pastor or some other leader. And they're in there talking and uh, everybody's already left. And the old man he was talking to said, do you feel that? And he says, no. And he said, God's here. Something's about to happen. He was like, we're the only ones here. And he said, about that moment, someone opened the doors to the church, and they said, y'all need to come out here. And while there was revival taking place at the church, some people left and went to a dance hall in town and went to some other places and told them, God is here. You have to come see what's going on. And like, people were getting saved on the way to the church. And then at the church, there were all these people from the town who, were, who God was moving in their lives. And the guy said at 3 a.m., he'd been traveling all day, and at 3 a.m., he finally goes home and he gets back to town and there's this elderly mother praying over her son who was obviously had been inebriated and was on his knees with his hands in the air. And she says, thank you, God, for saving my son. And the presence of God was just so strong there. And these prayers were, were being answered that had been prayed for so long. And, and on this island, there were people who, there was a revival that had taken place two generations before. And when that first revival took place, the people said, we will teach our children the scriptures. We will teach our children to serve God. And so they began to do that. And by the time this girl, this the second, the two generations later was a child. She had been taught Scripture as a child, but they didn't even know why. It had just become routine. But she had been taught the Scriptures. And so when the Holy Spirit came and revival fell, it only took a little spark for the Word of God in their hearts to just explode. And the presence of God was inescapable. And that's what the presence of God is. Jonah should have known that getting in a boat and trying to go to another country was not going to allow him to flee from the presence of God because we can't flee from the presence of God. And so what we need to know and what we have to be ready for is that we have to realize that there are times in our life where dis- I don't I don't even I can't even give you all the reasons why this happens, but there are times in our life where we become content in a way that is not healthy. Where we become apathetic to what is going on spiritually around us, whether it's our sin that leads us there or whether God purposefully withdraws his sense of presence from us so that we will chase after him more or whatever the case is, there are times in our life where we look around us and we realize, how did I get here? Maybe you've fallen into sin or maybe simply you just feel like you used to be more in love with God. Whatever the case is, if you've been a Christian long enough, you know what I'm talking about. You know the feeling that I'm talking about, the reality that I'm talking about. And this is where we find Jonah. I don't know the level of obedience before this and after this for Jonah. We're, we're told very little outside of this book of the Bible. We, I mean, he is mentioned in the Old Testament even and in the New Testament. But we don't know a lot about him other than what we're seeing here. But I have to believe if he was a prophet of God, that there was a time of obedience in his life. I have to believe that he loved the Lord, and that's why the Lord called him. And it has nothing to do with his skill or his talent level or whatever, because as you know from firsthand experience, God doesn't always call people because they're already just so gifted or something. God called him for his reasons, which we are not made privy to. And so here in Jonah chapter 1, verse 11, we're reentering this story in the middle of him running. And the captain has come down into the bottom of the ship and has approached him and addressed him and said, basically, what are you doing asleep? Wake up. Get up. This is We are in danger, and I'm not going to do much preaching this morning. We're about to read this, I will preach a little bit more, and we're going to be done. Because the scripture says it all. In the previous sermons, if you were here for them, they have led up to this point. And if you weren't here for them, then my recap that I just gave should be sufficient for you to jump right in. But in Jonah chapter 1, verse 11, this is where we begin, and this is what we see. Then they said to him, they being the mariners, the people on the ship, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. His answer for his rebellion. Is for the sailors to pick him up and throw him into the sea. And so often, this is our answer for our sins, for our rebellion, for our apathy. Well, just whatever. Do whatever is necessary. But what is necessary? What is necessary here for the the storm to calm? It's his repentance. That's... Why jump to throw me into the sea? He would rather be thrown into the sea than go tell the Ninevites about God. That is a hardened heart. That is where sin will lead us. And so many of us, we hold on to our comfort or we hold on to our sin or we're we're holding on to something so much that we will go down in flames, that we will say whatever has to happen can happen. Because I'm not doing this. I'm I'm not going to do this thing that God is calling me to do. I would rather do this and see this happen, throw me into the sea, but I'm not going to repent and go tell the Ninevites about God. And so I can't even begin to tell you what that represents in our lives. I don't know. I know some things that represents in my life, and I have been struggling with those things all week. But the answer is not pick me up and throw me into the sea. The answer is to get on our knees and cry out to God to rescue us and to save us and to forgive us. And Lord, let this storm pass, not because I deserve it, but because of your son and forgive me of my sins and help me to not continue to do this. The answer is repentance. But Jonah would rather see death than revival. He would rather see death than to see God move. And I have been in some churches across our state and across this world where there are people who would rather their church close their doors than them to reach certain people or for them to change certain things. And just think about it. Just slow down and stop and think about it. It's just evil. It's just wrong thinking. How do we get to a place like that? How? And don't think it can't be you. Because the people who it happens to never thought it would be them. But it became that way. And we will become that way. If we allow our hearts to be hardened to what God is trying to do, we will become that way. I will become that way. We have to come to God and say, God, forgive us. We have to come to God and say, God, what do you want? And whatever he says, yes, I'll do it. I'll go there. I'll do that. I'll stop doing that. We have to be prepared to see what God is calling us to do, and we have to be prepared to go. So he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, They called out to the Lord. Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Now I'm going to pause there and I'm going to say this. Who were they crying out to before they went down into the bottom of the ship to get Jonah? Each to their own God. Who are they calling out to now? Even in Jonah's disobedience, people came to know the Lord. God can achieve whatever he wants to with or without us. He does not need us. He is God, and yet he wants us to work for him, to live for him, to love him, to be in relationship with him. He has gifted us with this. He doesn't need us. He wants us, and he has created us to be able to give him something that he cannot even give to himself. Now, that's a crazy thing to think about, but sorry, Jacob, you're on the front row. Jacob has the ability to give God something that none of you can give. None of you can give it. And that's Jacob's worship. Jacob can bring himself to God and give his heart to God and give his life to God and surrender to God in only a way that Jacob can And that's the same for all of you. And God doesn't need Jacob. God, it's not going to make God any more glorious if Jacob decides to worship him. But God has given us this gift to where we get to be in this type of relationship, and he wants it. He wants it so much that he sent his son to die for us to make it possible. And so God is going to get what he wants, whether we're with him or not. And so I'm just saying, why not be with him? And God is going to be as glorious as he is, whether we're in heaven or we're in hell. If we're in hell, it's going to show his justice. It's going to show his righteousness. He is going to get glory. If we're in heaven, it's going to show his glorious, His glory. It's going to show his justice. It's going to show his righteousness the same. And so why not, for our sake, get on board with what God is trying to do? And it's obvious in this story, why doesn't Jonah just go to Nineveh? Whether he wants to or not, it's better than being thrown into the sea. And yet in our own lives, there are so many times when we choose the sea rather than repentance. And God used Jonah's disobedience to make himself known. Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. Oh Lord, ha- for you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. They're saying, we know that you caused a storm. And your man is telling us that the only way to calm the storm is to throw him into the sea. But we don't want to throw him into the sea because these pagans cared more about life than Jonah did. And and they are calling out to God now and, and looking for some kind of answer. But your will be done is basically what they're saying. If, you, if this is what you want, we'll do it. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You see, they were no longer just calling out to their gods. They were calling out to the one true God. And not only were they calling out to him for help, they were worshiping him. They had become believers. They are making vows to him. We're committed to you. We know that you are the one true Lord now. And so God used Jonah's disobedience to make his glory known. And he can do the same for you. But don't use that as an excuse. Because it's very clear in the New Testament, the Old Testament, that our disobedience can also lead people astray from God. Away from God. The New Testament, Jesus is using hyperbole, exaggeration for effect, and he says it's better to tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the waters than for you to lead a single one astray. And so we can't use this as an excuse for us to just be able to do whatever we want and God will still get the glory. Here's the truth. We cannot be like Jonah in this story and live lives that please God. What does God want from you this morning? Verse 17 says this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I want to make something clear. God's mercy is evident even in this story. He has saved these mariners, these sailors. He cares enough about the great city of Nineveh to make sure this man goes there. We focus on Jonah's plight and how could God bring this storm and how could God want these men to throw him into the sea and how could God send a fish to eat him. God could do that because God so loved the world. He could do greater things Than sacrifice a man to the belly of a fish, he can give up his only begotten son because he loves us and because he deserves glory and because he is just simply good and God and he is above us and he knows more than us and he knows where this will lead and so he goes through with it. Maybe there are some things happening in your life right now where you're like, God, why is this happening? And Dan, if you would go ahead and start heading up here. Maybe there are some things that happen in your life right now where you don't understand what's going on. But God knows. He knows exactly what's going on. This hasn't caught him by surprise. He knows. And he can use it for his glory. And we can either be a part of what he's doing or we can work against what he is doing. And so all of us this morning, I just want all of us, every single one of us, to go to God and say, God, what do you want? Do I need to repent? Am I Jonah? Am I saying throw me into the sea rather than just repenting and and bringing this to an end right now? Or maybe you have some Jonas in your life. I only want you to think about other people after you have personally dealt with God yourself this morning. Don't even turn your attention to anyone else until you have done that. But if you have a clear conscience and God has has made it clear to you that you are right with him and you are at peace with him, then at that moment, after you have dealt with God, then go to him and pray for these other people who are running. But only then. It's time for us to go back to God. It's time for us to repent and see what he wants and to do what he wants. It's time for us to stop working against him and go with him. It's time for us to say, Your will be done. That's what it's time for. Are we ready to do it? Are we ready to surrender to his presence, to who he is, to his lordhood, his lordship? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would just bless us this morning. And I pray that we would all respond to you in whatever way you're leading. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm right here.